It was a dry Sunday morning. Like so many dry Sunday mornings before it. Dry. Not wet. Not quite noon on a day in between Saturday and Monday. It never ceases to amaze me how people cannot figure out what I'm trying to tell them without me having to say it back to them 40 ways to Sunday. Sunday mornings, that is. Dry ones. Like today. Hello? But I can't be bothered by hyperbole. I'm Rank McBadden, faith detective. And Sundays are my jam. Just don't invite me to go water skiing with you or watch football. Because I'm a faith detective, not a non-faith detective. It's right there in my name. Hey, Glenn. I think you mean rank. Hey, Glenn, yeah. isn't, Whatever. isn't this Mike Tannehill's like, favorite talk of all time? Ah, uh, you're talking about the seven deadly heresies, aren't you? Yeah, I knew a Mike Tannehill once. Plump, persnickety, a fellow faith detective. Purposely non-particular. The kind of faith detective who chases any kind of rabbit down any kind of hole and comes up smelling roses every single time. Except, of course, for the times when he doesn't, which are many. Ask him what he thinks and he punts it to the scriptures. Not to suggest that he doesn't think, it's just the oldest faith detective trick in the book. When in doubt, grab a rose-scented glade plug-in and rub it all over whatever hole you just crawled out of and pray the pungent perfume precludes pursuing problems, perceived or otherwise. And when you're backed into an intellectual corner, just chuckle. <laughs> it's what we faith detectives do. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I remember the very first case we ever worked on together, Mike Tannehill and I, the curious case of the Abrahamic Covenant, and it went a little something like this. <laughs> this is Infants on Thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans. We are the core. Welcome back to another Throwback Friday episode of Infants on Thrones. Being repurposed right here, right now, as the very first episode of the Week of Tannehill, preparatory to the glorious return of Mike in our next installment of the Seven Deadly Heresies discussion. That's right, one Throwback Tannehill episode every day this week leading up to our next epic smackdown. Epic, because we said so. Where we hop into our time machine and resurrect some of our favorite episodes of old. This one's actually a pretty weird one. For those of you familiar with Mike Tannehill, I really don't need to say any more. But for those of you not familiar, Mike was and is a faithful, believing member of the LDS Church. Now, he started podcasting along with Tom and myself many, many years ago back on the Mormon Expression podcast. And we've had him on Infants on Thrones a couple of times as well. You may remember him as the unintentional racist from one of our first sort of smackdowns of the race and priesthood essay from LDS.org. Well, the Abrahamic Covenant is very important to Mike. And back in the day, he would refer to it over and over again, but he never really had a chance to explain what it was or why it was so important to him. So this episode was my attempt to give him that platform and to give him the lead on an episode for once and let him talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. It was probably the last time we ever did that as well, partly because he opened up our discussion with a prayer like Elder's Quorum that I thought it was pretty funny, but some 
some listeners at the time found it somewhat jarring, so consider this a warning in advance. Anyway, this episode features myself, Tom, and Scott back in the day when he went by Jesse, as well as our friend Brant Malone, who some of you may know from the Mormon Expositor podcast. Now, this episode was recorded in December 2010 and published in April 2011. And then published for the first time on Infants on Thrones as a throwback Friday, a little over a year ago, March 2017, with several inserts that I put in at the time that you'll hear in this episode. But then, of course, today, this is the third layer on the midden heap for those archaeologists out there. Um, And this is, what, 2018? April something, for anyone keeping track. So we're going back about five years. And if you've ever wondered about the Abrahamic Covenant and you wanted to hear a bunch of pre-infants talk about stuff that doesn't completely make sense, then this is the Throwback Friday episode for you. And tell you what, if you listen all the way to the end, we'll put on a little special Easter egg that Scott put together to preview our upcoming Infants on Conference episode. Eh? Alright. Way to go, Scott. This is Infants on Thrones. Throwback Friday. 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 Alright, welcome to another episode of Infants on Thrones. Tonight I'll be your host, Mike Tannehill. And, uh... We have a great uh, collection of uh, guests tonight from all across the country. Uh, our regulars, we have Glenn from Indiana. Hello, Glenn. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Uh, we have Tom from the Promised Land, Utah. <laughs> hey, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, we also have uh, Jesse from Ohio. Hello, Jesse. Hello. And we have Brant coming to us from Michigan. Hi, Mike. Thanks for the invite. Do we want to do an opening prayer before we start? Oh, come on, man. Don't do that. You don't want to do that? I'm happy to do it if that's what you want to do. All right, let's do that. Buddha, Buddha, bless uh, <laughs> All right, I'll say it. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this opportunity we have to meet together as members of thy priesthood and discuss thy gospel. And we ask for thy spirit to be with us to bless and inspire the things we say and the things we remember to recall. And we give thee thanks that's that blessing in the Son of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Okay. Uh, is that the first nothing. time that's happened? I'm just curious. I, th- I, I yes. think it is. <laughs> so wait, is, uh, is Jesse and Brant, are you guys still attending? Yes. Yes. Okay. So now, Mike, you called us all together to talk about the Abrahamic Covenant, right? Because of uh, the, the DNC 132 podcast we um, did a couple weeks ago? A few, a few podcasts ago, we had uh, the DNC 132 podcast, which uh, talked about uh, polygamy mostly. And I thought what we could do is look at the... Well, actually, we talked about DNC 132, but... DNC 132. That's kind of what DNC 132 is about, so... (laughs) We wanted to delve a little deeper in this podcast and look at the doctrine uh, behind uh, the revelation and how it grew and and came up into the church uh, through Joseph Smith. And it was one of the restored uh, doctrines. Uh, We we know... uh, from the uh, DNC one, they talk about uh, they've broken my my everlasting covenant and have changed my ordinances. Who, who, and we're going to look at who, who who broke what covenant, Mike? Uh, in Doctrine and Covenant section one, which is kind of the introduction to the uh, dispensation, uh-huh. uh, the Lord tells Joseph that the world, since the apostasy, had changed the doc 
Hello? Mike. Mike. Hello? Oh. Uh, this is what happens when you start with an opening prayer. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Mike, you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can Hello. now. <laughs> okay. What we're talking about is uh, induction of covenant section one. Uh, the Lord tells Joseph that uh, they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own image and after the way of his own God, whose image and likeness the world. Uh, they strayed from my ordinances and have broken my everlasting covenant. So what we're looking at here is the restoration of an ordinance and covenant and doctrine, uh, which is basically the Abrahamic covenant is what we want to talk about tonight and how it kind of binds together and gives life and meaning to everything in the church. Is this where we're going to figure out your, your background to how the names, the last names are connected <laughs> to all this? Yeah, I've been yeah, waiting for the Doctrine of Names podcast for a while. <laughs> I might have been overstepping in, in declaring the name thing, but we're going to look at that. Uh, okay, all right. I, I do want to try and keep this. I, I know we want to use the scriptures as, as a guiding post because that's going to be the, the skeleton that you as build. As an iron rod, Glenn. As, as, as the iron rod that we use to shove up the backside of the Abrahamic Covenant. <laughs> Easy. Well, no, Glenn, Glenn yeah. don't you remember? It, it's just a book. Uh-huh. The, the remember they're just the scriptures they're just books the, oh that that did come out didn't it that was in the 14 fundamentals wasn't it right yeah. right um but but so mike if you could just give us a summary what what is the abrahamic covenant um the abrahamic covenant itself is it it's it it's what ties all the families together we talk about how we're saved in the church as a family and the Abrahamic covenant is what binds the family together, father to son, husband to wife, uh, grandfathers to grandchildren. When we talk about being saved as a family, well, that's how we all return to our Father in heaven as his children and take part in that inheritance. Okay. And I think that's going to become more clear. As, now, what, what, I've, what I've done here is I've gone through a, a BYU broadcasting uh, discussion where... Uh, you had a number of uh, BYU professors get together and they discussed the Abrahamic covenant. And they did a very good job of uh, pulling some scriptures out that show how, the, how this came forth in our dispensation. And, uh, and uh, as we go through these scriptures, these same scriptures, and discuss them, we'll, we'll see how the Abrahamic covenant really ties everything together. Um, if we want to start at the beginning, we'll go to, uh, they mentioned that if, if we find out that in the first vision they discussed the Abrahamic covenant, we wouldn't be surprised. But the first real mention we have of it, or as a revelation we have of it, is when Joseph Smith was 17 years old. And that was in 1823, and it's when Moreau and I came and visited him. Um, now, Brant, could you kick us off and uh, read Joseph Smith's history, verses 38 and 39 for us? Sure. Let me pull it up right here. Well, hang on. Are we? Are, are are you under the assumption that we're sitting here with our scriptures open in front of us, Mike? Aren't you? No. Oh, oh no. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> All right. Every, while he's looking it up, you guys go get your scriptures. I'm reviewing facsimile too right now. I thought that's what we were covering. <laughs> <laughs> what What is exactly uh, your fascination with the Abrahamic Covenant, Mike? Um, did you listen to the BYU one? Yeah, I did. You didn't find that fascinating? 
Um, it depends on how you define fascinating. <laughs> can I, Tom, can I answer your question? Because I, I think yeah, it's please, fascinating. Please, yeah. Okay, this is Jesse. Um, in the in the tangled web of Mormon doctrines, and there's all these intersecting lines, and there's ideas that are tangentially related to each other. And to me, the Abrahamic covenant is one that is kind of in the middle of everything. And at one point or another, every other doctrine in Mormonism is going to have to to cross through it. The problem with that is the Abrahamic covenant is hard to define. And you can you can say it's narrowly what was promised to Abraham, or you can say very broadly, you know, it's basically the entire plan of salvation. It's the um, the new and everlasting covenant. It's the celestial kingdom. It's everything we're supposed to do here on earth. It's the gospel. So so there's a real spectrum of of how you can define it and what it what it includes. Um, so, so it's broadly or loosely termed as everything, just the gospel. Yes. Yeah, yes. It, that's one of the uh, uh, several of the um, of the scriptures. I think the one um, let's see in in Abraham two it says, "I will bless them through my name. For as many as receive this gospel shall be called after my name, and shall be accounted thy seed, and shall rise up and bless thee as their father." So every everyone who is in the gospel is being assimilated into this uh, this covenant. All right, we're going to get to that a little later. Okay. So let's get the introduction first, and we're going to All get right. to that uh, and shortly. Um, okay, is it Brant who looked it up? Yeah, I've, I've got it here. Go ahead, right. go ahead. This is Moroni talking to Joseph. All right, uh, you verses want 38, 39. And again, he quoted the fifth verse thus, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He also quoted the next verse differently. And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Okay. Um, one thing to notice there is that he says, I will reveal to you the priesthood. So what he's saying is, I'm, gonna, I'm going by restoring the gospel through you, we're going to be revealing what the priesthood that you read about in the scriptures is really for. And what, what, what does he say? He says the purpose of the priesthood is we're going to uh, bring the, the sealing power of Elijah the prophet, and we're going to turn the hearts of the children to the, to the promises made to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. So through, through Elijah, the purpose of the priesthood is going gonna, is gonna to be brought to and returned. And uh, so that's what this whole restoration is for. We're going to restore the priesthood and we're going to show you what it's really for. So Mike, I, I've got this image in my mind of somebody picking up a dandelion spore and blowing on it. And, and all of these dandelions Aww. just kind of like, isn't that kind of nice? And it just <laughs> kind of blows out in the wind. I, I mean, is, is that what... Moroni is telling Joseph is going to happen. It is, you know, if if the Abrahamic covenant doesn't bind all of these dandelion spores together, when Jesus comes, everyone's just going to be utterly destroyed and blown to the wind. But if if the priesthood of Elijah can bind people together, we'll be able to hold that dandelion right there in our hand, and you can huff and you can puff and and blow as hard as you want, but but it's just going to be protected and safe and we'll have that dandelion i mean well, is, that, is that is that kind of he, what that means well he's talking about how the, the fathers and children will turn to one another 
Now he's quoting. Uh, um, he's quoting Malachi. But, but I, that, I, I, I just don't know what that well, means. Well, he's he's not quoting Malachi. He's he's uh, repeating something Malachi said in right. slight, slightly different words, which well, if, were if we different to, than the words that they were said in the Book of Mormon. If we turn to Malachi, Glenn, and and go to uh, Malachi chapter four and skip to verse one. He gives a negative aspect of what happens if the apostasy takes hold uh, to families. And he, he, he says some uh, things about, well, let me go ahead and read it. This I, is Malachi just, I just want to know what it means to be destroyed. I'm going to give you the opposite of, of binding the heart of fathers and children. He says, for behold, the day cometh that shall burn its in oven, and all the, all the proud, ye, all that do wickedly shall be as stubble. The day will come that the Lord burns them up that it shall not leave them neither root nor branch. So without this binding of Elijah that takes place in a family, the roots and the branches of, a, of an individual are cut away. They lose their inheritance and they lose their, um, what's the word for it? Continuation. Uh, continuation. They lose what came before them and what could come after those. They are separated from that. And that, that is the curse that, He's talking about, I will come and smite the earth with a curse, or Moroni says that earth will be utterly wasted at his coming. If these things are not restored, then everyone loses everything, and the whole plan of salvation has been for naught, because not, these things aren't bound together unless Elijah is restored. And this is what, you know, you hear about the Jews, they leave a, a place at the table, uh, the, for I think it's the Passover, they leave an empty plate at the table in hopes that Elijah will return and restore those promises to them. And Joseph is, and Moroni is saying Elijah is going to be coming and he's going to restore the purpose of the whole priesthood. Okay, Mike, I've, I've got a couple questions for you about that, if I may. Okay. Um, so this, this idea of the root and the branch that's coming from Malachi, and, and it's quoted also in the Joseph Smith history, um, verse 37. So to me, that as a, as a lifelong member of the church, that means that there's my father and then there's my children and we're all bound together and we all get saved together. It's a, it's a family, um, exaltation. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So my, my question with that then is for someone who decides to leave, um, I guess this, this idea implies that if one person leaves, that has an effect on the other generations that are with them. And if someone is born into a family which is in the covenant, that has a benefit to them. And if someone is yes. not, if someone is not born into a family that has the is part of the covenant, then they don't have those blessings. So if I would, if I were the first member of the church and none of my ancestors had joined, I'm I'm the I'm the first one, then somehow I'm missing out on on something that I'm not getting because I wouldn't have a, a root or a tree or a, a branch or a trunk or whatever. Um, to me, that just seems like it's just, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but when I read that and I think about it, it just seems like spiritual Amway that if you, if you have to have this kind of a, a downstream and an upstream and you all have to be connected and it just seems so disconnected from the atonement and individual responsibility, um, you know, people being punished for their own sins or their own transgressions. It just, it seems so far apart from that. Well, it, it, 
you, you can look at it. Uh, part of the part of the everlasting covenant is is baptism, um, and when we we are baptized, what do we, whose name do we take upon us? Christ. Christ. Okay, so that binds you to Christ, and you become part of His family. And an expansion of that is this Abrahamic covenant, because you are now. But why? But why should it matter if? If my father was a member of the church, why should that affect my eternal blessings? I mean, how does that make any sense? Because I, I taught people on my mission, you know, baptized them. Why would they not be entitled to the same, the exact same blessings as someone who was born into the church? It's just, it's just really hard to swallow looking at it from that perspective. And I don't want to get too personal, but I think this also ties in for people who are leaving the church or who are thinking about leaving the church. This idea creates an incredible amount of pressure on them. Um, If my actions affect not just the feelings or, you know, the sociality, but if my actions actually affect the eternal blessings that my parents can receive or that my children can receive, that just seems like an incredible burden because in their minds, their salvation or their exaltation is at least partially dependent on what I do. Um, so that creates a really strong dynamic um, for people who are, are, are struggling or are thinking about leaving the church. Well, when, when, we, when we become part of the church and we get that gift of the Holy Ghost, the purpose of the Holy Ghost is to give us the mind of God. All right, and, and what you're talking about is viewing one another, not just as family, but as a great spiritual family, and you gain, you gain a little bit of the mentality of why Christ sacrificed himself for us, why the Father goes through so much trouble for us, because he wants you to have that inheritance. He wants you to have that family name of him that he can give you all things and, and help you see the things the way he sees them. That, that's what this is all about, is gaining the mind of our Father in heaven and viewing things the way he does. Well, then, and, Mike, if, just going off what Jesse said, how important is your lineage then, according to the Abrahamic covenant in the way you see it? Is, well, it, is, it, is it important at all whether your parents are members or your grandparents are members or, and all that ties together? Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's continue on in the, in this, in, in the, along the scriptures here. We'll, uh, we'll look at the next one in line. We'll get Moroni's view on it. Well, well before, before we do that, I, I, th- I just think it has to. I mean, if, if it doesn't, then this whole idea of saving your family together would be meaningless because it would be the same thing. It has to give you some kind of spiritual benefit. But don't you think that the Abrahamic covenant can be vague enough or encompassing enough that they can say, well, it, doesn't, it is important to be tied together through your lineage, but then it doesn't need to be that important either. I don't know. Isn't that what, Mike, isn't that what you were saying, Mike? Like, as soon as you're baptized, you're tied to Christ's name. So, yeah, you know, that's how you kind of get past that little loophole. Okay, hang on a second here. 
Now, this is 2016, Infant Glenn, and I've just got to break in for a minute. You know, is this frustrating you guys as much as it's frustrating me? I mean, isn't this a classic case of the church wanting to have its cake and eat it too? You know, as I listen back to this, I'm so impressed with what I'm hearing from Scott slash Jesse. I don't think I even completely understood what he was saying at the time. But here you have Mike making the claim that anyone can be adopted into salvation through baptism and taking upon themselves the name of Christ. And that's the church's way of making nice with everyone and pretending to be all-inclusive, right? But then there's this whole blood lineage thing that we can't ever really get away from because it was so vitally important to the poor, impoverished farm boy, Joseph Smith, to reclaim his identity and frame himself as being of noble blood, of literal Israel. And that was the way that the early church members saw themselves and made each other feel special and valuable. And it's all through our scriptures and in songs and just woven into the fabric of our history that we are of Israel, literally. And then that also morphs into the whole scare tactics of the church where they say beware of losing your birthright and staining this noble lineage that you're a part of because it can affect not only you but also your posterity and this chain going back up to your parents and it's a way of making the priesthood seem like it's so important, cosmically important and blah 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 which is vitally important as a scare tactic but it just doesn't really jive with the Anyone can have these blessings regardless of their background or lineage. We're just that inclusive mumbo-jumbo. And poor Mike isn't really up to the task here, is he? As much as he'd like to be, he keeps punting to the scriptures as a way to avoid answering questions that can't really be answered, at least not faithfully and honestly at the same time. So, all right, I just had to get that off my chest. Let's get back to this incredible discussion. Well, you see, we talk about in the church how there's kingdoms of of glory. I look at them as kingdoms of of responsibility, the celestial, terrestrial, telestial thing. We know that everyone through Christ is saved and that they will receive a resurrection. So those that don't care about religion and just want to do their own way, they have the telestial kingdom. Okay, when you're baptized, you become part of that family of Christ, and that entitles you to the terrestrial glory. You can look at it as being outside the city, being in the city. And this Abrahamic covenant is what ties you into the celestial kingdom. Because now you're you're following what the Father does. You're not just receiving the gospel for yourself, but you're expanding it to your family. Does that make sense? Well, how does the expanding it to the family work? Well, we're we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Okay. All right, right, let's get to it. You know, before we get to it, though, (laughs) because, you know, the the, the Abrahamic covenant, and and the way that I'm looking at this is Abraham is a culture hero, right? I mean, in in going back thousands of years that these these Hebrew people looked at Abraham and said, we're going to use this figure to define who we are as a group of people. And now, thousands of years later, we have us as Mormons saying, well, we're going to take the Abrahamic covenant and now we're going to tweak it here and we're going to tweak it here and we're going to use this to define who we are as a group of people as well. And so, yeah, there's some things, there's some, there's some things about the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament that, 
that we agree on, that there's a promised land and that there's a great posterity. But then there's going to be some Mormon elements that are a little bit different than what you'll find in the uh, the Old Testament as well. But it all boils down, to, to, from my eyes at least, to the group of people that we are and how we're defining ourselves, our, our sense of identity through this um, you know, Abrahamic covenant, whatever we're going to call it. So just as, as we're going forward, just so that you all know, that's how I'm looking at this. Well, Mormonism can tweak it because of modern revelation in the dispensation of times, right, Mike? Yeah, we're going to show that as we go through Ah, this. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we jump ahead from 1823 from Moroni's visit to 1827 when Joseph's 21 years old, and now he's translating the Book of Mormon. And let's flip over to the title page of the Book of Mormon. And this is Moroni's, uh, Moroni's entrance to the Book of Mormon on the title page. This is what he wrote this for. All right, you go to the second paragraph, and he's giving the reason that the Book of Mormon has come to us. He says, you switch down to witches to show. He says, witches to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. Can, can I ask mean, right there, who is the remnant of the house of Israel? It says it in the first paragraph. Uh-huh. It's the second, starting on the second line, written to the Lamanites. Okay. Who are the, the remnant of the house of Israel. Okay, so are, are we talking like North American Indians? Among the Lamanites. No. <laughs> but one, of the thing, one of the things I wrote in my notes is that we really need to figure out who the Lamanites are so that we can uh, get on this whole uh, Abrahamic covenant thing because it's very important uh, to the Book of Mormon. All right. There were numerous people across North and South America. Part of them were Lehi's group that arrived. Okay. And if they're, whoever their blood is scattered into in North and South America, this book is to them and should act upon that blood and, and generate uh, a desire to learn the gospel. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry for derailing you. I just wanted to understand it. And I know sometimes no, that's that good. can be an annoyance. Yeah, pull, it, pull it together, Glenn. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll stop go trying ahead. to understand these things and just we'll just go with it. <laughs> There's no dumb questions, Glenn. That was a good question. Oh, thanks. All right. <laughs> Which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. There's that phrase. Just like Elijah's turning the hearts of the children to the fathers. There it is. What the Lord hath done for your fathers, that they may know that they are, that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever, and also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. So there's the two purposes for the restoration of the Book of Mormon. Everybody, they can get it from the blue copy of the missionaries hand out that this is another testament of Jesus Christ. The other one is, a, is that it's going to restore the knowledge of what covenants are for. And You know, and Mike, we, I, I read that line, and to me that doesn't, that doesn't say um, anything about Abraham or the Abrahamic covenant. To me, that especially in the context of the Lamanites, that would indicate the covenants that the Lord made with the Book of Mormon people about receiving the land and if they're righteous they'll be able to inherit it and that they would eventually receive the gospel again through lehi's seed i I think of those covenants that are in the book of mormon um as being what he's talking about there okay that's 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 perfect that's that's my take on it that's a perfect lead-in and a good volunteering on your part to read the next scripture hold on hold on mike I, i just have a question so if if we've determined from that paragraph there that, I mean, where where would 
where would today's church, where would today's Latter-day Saint church fall in as far as the Book of Mormon? Are we are we the remnant of the Lamanites? Are we the Jews and the Gentiles? I mean, where, where do we fall in and all that so we can know what the purpose of it is for us? Well, because we are all part of Abraham's family, this is a family story that we're reading. And this, this is a good example of, of how the Lord works through his chosen people. And he chooses them because they enter into covenants with him. Okay. I, I want to ask, because you, you'd mentioned bloodline at least twice, Mike. How important right. is the bloodline? Is it, is it, is it like the focus? Well, is Jesse... Everything- Go I'm gonna let Jesse. I'm gonna let Jesse answer that. Jesse, look up Third Nephi chapter twenty. Wait, where, where's, where's, the, where's the part where it says that the uh, the Gentiles are gonna come and be a scourge to the uh, that they're gonna That's scatter? It. That's what we're going to right oh, now. Third good. Nephi chapter twenty, twenty five. Nice segue, Glenn. Awesome. Everybody's giving good segues to this next week. This is gonna answer all of this. It's because we prayed first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Third, third, Nephi, third Nephi chapter, chapter twenty. Verses yep. 25 through 27. Okay. Now, let me give you a little background here. This is Christ has appeared to the Nephites, and he's among them. Now, we've all seen that, that great picture of Christ descending from the sky, and then he, he comes in and he's talking to all the Nephites. Uh, we all grew up with that in the church. He's going to say here why he did that. This is why Christ came to the Nephites. He says it here, 3 Nephi chapter 20, 25 to 27. In some other background, there are like Native Americans living on reservations at this time, and Europeans have come over (laughs) onto the land. Go. Uh, And behold, ye are the children of the prophets, and ye are of the house of Israel, and ye are of the covenant which the Father may which the Father made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all kindreds of the earth be blessed. The Father, having raised me up unto you first, and sent me to bless you in turning every one of you from his iniquities, and this because ye are the children of the covenant. And after that ye were blessed, then then fulfilleth the Father the covenant which he made with Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindred kindreds of the earth be blessed unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all unto the scattering of my people, O house of Israel. Okay, so why did Christ come to the Nephites? To, to make the Gentiles powerful enough to come over and scatter the remnants of the wicked people that Christ appeared well, I to. Thought, I thought Jesse was going to answer my question about the bloodline. I'm still waiting for that. That's what it. it he, he did say it. Read. He did? Uh, Tom. Yes, Tom. Read. Well, read. Well, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to read. You just tell me what <laughs> the answer is. The end of verse 25, he says... I am here because you are the children of the covenant which your father made with your father, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So does that mean the bloodline is important? Yes, they are the blood of Abraham. And the covenant was made that the priesthood would remain with his, with his descendants, that he would always make sure the gospel was made available to them. Okay, so if you're not in the bloodline, you're screwed. And if you are in the bloodline, kudos to you, man. Right? <laughs> The, the the gospel when it comes to his, the Christ people makes them the workers so he's saying the priest is going to be among you that you can bring it to everyone around you why you're, you're going to be the workers con- why are you the, your answers confusing me man I'm trying to I'm trying to 
I'm trying to figure it out. If if the bloodline's important, that's a big deal. And if the bloodline's not important, then that actually answers more quit. That to me answers more. But Tom, more even the even the even the bloodline made the Gentiles who are outside the bloodline. Right. Made the Gentiles powerful. And the Gentiles became powerful to scatter well, the people that were, were in the bloodline. The, well, if they were out of the bloodline and they were powerful, then what's the importance of the bloodline? Because they well, made them remember, powerful. You remember what happened? What Christ is saying here is in verse 27 is that now that he's fulfilled this promise to the Israelites and, and, given, and poured out his spirit, remember Peter got the revelation soon after that the Israelites would take the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember Peter had the dream where he was eating the unclean food, and then they go out and start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He had Paul doing his whole mission, bringing in all the Romans and Greeks and all, all of them to the church. That's what he's saying. I, I fulfilled the, the promise. I restored. I've had a restoration, and now the, the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. But Tom, he did you not get your uh, Did you not get your bloodline card? I got my membership card from Salt Lake. Did, did you? I, I I must have missed that. I didn't get it stamped properly. I guess. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> well, we. I, I was going to add uh, to your point, uh, Tom. We know from from Second Nephi chapter three, uh, verse seven, that Joseph Smith was of the bloodline of Abraham. Well, um, yeah, but, but so, what I don't what I don't understand is. I read all this, and what Mike is saying, well, sort of, is that the bloodline is important. Okay, well, that's that's great, but it doesn't explain that, you know, the Gentiles that were not in the bloodline. Well, they're powerful. Well, they weren't in the bloodline. Hi, I'm breaking in again because you're right, Tom. It is confusing because the Gentiles in the scripture is kind of a wink wink secret insider thing you know they're not really gentiles or well there's gentiles but there's the literal blood of israel through ephraim that was scattered among the gentiles remember that this is the whole lost tribes thing so you get all these white europeans who are mostly gentiles except for the ones that have preserved the pure abrahamic blood of israel through ephraim in their super vip family lines that have just sort of been hidden and forgotten in the world. You know, kind of like Sophie being a blood descendant of Jesus in the Da Vinci Code. Spoiler alert. So, Joseph taught that his family had this super VIP Israel blood, and so did all the families that converted to early Mormonism, because my sheep know my voice when they hear it, and they'll follow me, and the special Israelite Gentiles aren't really Gentiles, they were just lost and forgotten among the Gentiles. And the whole gathering of Israel effort, you know, missionary work in the early church, they literally believed that to be using a kind of blood of Abraham gaydar kind of thing. Let's call it Abdar to seek out and find the real true blood lineage who had the right because of that lineage to the priesthood and the leadership of God's kingdom in these last days. Pretty convenient, isn't it? Of course, over time, as more and more people joined the church from various different backgrounds, they had to make room for these other people to also be partakers of the same special Abrahamic covenant, so it was revealed that non-bloodline people could also be adopted and have the same blessings as bloodline people. 
even black people in the early church until Brigham changed that. But this is why bloodlines can be both important and not important at the same time, because of the way that man-made doctrines evolve to accommodate different problems that arise. Or in other words, this is a good illustration of the kinds of things that happen when groups of people make things up as they go along. So what the yeah, freak, he's saying? You know? No, he said he's going to bring them into it. So the so an actual bloodline is really not important. I mean, he can start a bloodline and stop a bloodline. Why was Christ so involved with the Nephites through all of this Book of Mormon? It's because they were children of the covenant and the promise. Christ came to them because the promises their fathers had made. But Mike, you know, one one of the things that was made in this other BYU podcast was, and, and, and you've said this before too, was that the Abrahamic covenant is only called the Abrahamic covenant because Abraham was just, you know, really righteous at that time. But it was actually the covenant that was made with Adam. Right, we're right? going to get to that. I know we're going to, but I just said it, so we're kind of there right now. So <laughs> with, with Adam, everybody's in Adam's bloodline. So right. Tom, be happy. We'll, we'll just call it the Adamic covenant. So, so there really doesn't. It, there's really no point to the bloodline. We're all no, in it, right? No, there's there's no point to the bloodline. And and if you if you think about it, if if you try to put yourself in the mindset of a of a solid true believer, this is post flood, but only by a couple hundred years. Am I right, Mike? So uh, I'm not sure how many generations it was between Noah and Abraham. Okay, but but it wasn't more than ten, right? Right. So so this is this is a fairly short period of time. So there would have been a very small number of people on the earth at the time. Which, even though we know that's not factually true, let's let's think that way. If that were the case, everyone on the earth would probably have blood from Abraham, from Abraham's brother. I mean, if you were to trace back all of the generations, we'd have bloodlines to all kinds of people. It wouldn't just be one or the other. Because, True, but... but it, I it, mean, that's just the nature of genealogy. The farther you go back, the more people whose blood your, yours came from. So, uh, to, to say that, oh, well, you know, this 4,000-year-old uh, bloodline, that's what's important today, it's just, I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. Yeah, yeah but, but, they, but they did make a point on that BYU... Uh, podcast. To, they made a point. They, <laughs> they did. They made. They Sorry. made several points, and and one of them was how ridiculous the 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 people are who think that it's just a metaphorical relationship right. to Abraham because it, it it must be literal. You must be literal descendants of Abraham. They did that's make that what, point. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking because yeah. even even when Christ made the was it Christ that said that you know you're. You're uh, starting this new generation, those that, uh, you know, basically emphasizing the importance of your generation, your bloodline. So if, right. if, we're taking, if we're taking the concept that these bloodlines really are literal, like they said in the BYU discussion, which we know is doctrine, um, <laughs> let, let's, let's look at it from a modern perspective. Could you say that there is a certain bloodline that's, that's more righteous or has more blessings in heaven than another and, and that we should be trying to get into one of those bloodlines? Well, through wicked living, you can shake off the ability for the Holy Ghost to work in your family. What? If, you, if you cut yourself off from the church and you, and you break away, then you can lose the active blessings. 
Can you get it back, though? You can get it back, but how difficult is it if, if you've shaken off the Holy Ghost in your family? If how, you cut how yourself many, off and shaken off the Holy Ghost in your family? What? How many generations does that take to cure? Cure. What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you notice that the, the people Christ came to were those that were active in the church and went to the temple to wait for Christ as they'd been promised that he would come. And he came and said, I came because of the covenants I made. You, ha- you can cut off, I mean, how many parents do you know that break away from the church and don't get their kids baptized and, 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 and shake, shake off that Holy Ghost's influence on your family to, to work on the covenants that your family has in it? Three. You can cut yourself off through unrighteous living that the Holy Ghost can't activate himself in your family. Activate that, himself? It, what is, I don't even know what that means because I always thought that even if you're not a member of the church, you can still feel the influence of the Holy Ghost. Well, the Father in Heaven is going to try to to uphold the covenants you made to your father. So he'll send the home teachers to your house. Heavenly Father is going to try, but he might fail. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you have he, to he's going to do him. his darndest. That, that right. omnipotent have, have guy up him. there, he's just going to try. How, how well, okay, we know that the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were descendants of Noah. Okay, but how active was the Holy Ghost in those cities? They lived in such a way that the covenants couldn't work upon well, them because the Holy Ghost couldn't dwell with them. Yeah, they had to send in the angels, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they had to send in the angels. And then the, the people tried to dwell in the angels. Uh, they tried to lie. They tried to lie with the angels, Glenn. Yeah, and then and then he gave up his daughters instead because. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's let's look at the little terrible promise. terrible story. I, I I'll take a fictional view of that story. That's terrible. Yeah. All right, Glenn mentioned before. Glenn mentioned the talk about being a, a literal seed. Now, what that comes from is around, around June of eighteen thirty. So now Joseph's twenty four years old. Joseph was commanded to translate the Bible. Now, over the next three years, Joseph added, altered, or deleted uh, 3,410 verses in the Bible and also received the book of Moses at this time. Now, the goal of the translation was not a a better Bible. It was to educate Joseph. And uh, he learned things like the age of accountability that that we use when we baptize our kids in the church. You don't baptize until you're eight. He learned about the three degrees of glory. He learned about various duties of the priesthood, the second coming. And he also learned about celestial marriage while translating the Bible. Um, And now in the summer of uh, 1831, when Joseph's 25, uh, we get Doctrine and Covenants section 132, which would be the summer of 31. Well, that's uh, okay. Well, it's it's actually debatable where yeah. when that came in, Mike. It's not the summer of thirty one. No well, one we know he was trans he was translating the Bible and he and he went and asked God, What are these guys doing with multiple wives? Well said, yeah, but that well, doesn't necessarily mean he's like, Well, I've kinda got myself in a pickle. Uh what wh- what do you think about polygamy? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. He, he, it's hard to it's hard to say whether his he went to there because he was reading from the Bible or or that he already kind of got caught up. Well, let's look at the, these promises of Abraham he learned about. Uh, Tom, you want to read for us DNC 132, verses 28 through 31? Oh, yeah. Didn't we already read this? Let me see. 132. We're reading it under the light of the Abrahamic covenant, though. Not the light of a bitter apostasy. Verses again? Verses 28 through 31. 
DNC 132. 28 through 31? 28 through 31, yes. I am the Lord thy God and will give unto thee the law of my holy priesthood as was ordained by me and my father before the world was. Abraham received all things whatsoever he received by revelation and commandment by my word saith. Do I really have to read? Okay. By my word saith the Lord and hath entered into his exaltation and sitteth upon his throne. Instead of sitting on his throne, he sitteth upon his throne. (laughs) Abraham received promises concerning his seed and of the fruit of his loins. (laughs) No joke there. From whose loins ye are, namely my servant Joseph, which were to continue so long as they were in the world, and as touching Abraham and his seed, out of the world they should continue, both in the world and out of the world, should they continue as innumerable as the stars, or if ye were to count the sand upon the seashore, ye could not number them. This promise is yours also, because ye are of Abraham, and the promise was made unto Abraham. And by this law is a continuation of the works of my Father, wherein he glorified himself. Thank you. You're right, welcome. So this, and the next the verse prom- is the commandment to practice polygamy. Right. Right. All right. The promise was, well, the next verse talks about getting married. But what the point of this is, this is a literal promise. It's not a metaphor. That you like, are it's the, for, like it's for real, yeah, right? For, it's for reals. reals. Yeah. For real. So, so, <laughs> yeah. so, Mike, if we did DNA testing on Abraham and Joseph... They should they should match up as Joseph being the literal seed of, of Father Joseph, of Abraham. Joseph right. Mormon genome part two. Mormon genome part two. Now, okay. what what this means is that when you go to the temple and you enter into that uh, celestial marriage and you're married in the temple, that's not that wasn't a metaphorical event. Those promises are literally placed upon your head, and you receive all those blessings that Abraham received because you've entered into the same covenant he entered into. That's an eternal covenant, as he said in the in the beginning verse. There, he says, uh, "This is the law of my holy priesthood, and was ordained by me and my Father before the world was." These promises were made at the beginning, and they carry on after. It's a, it's a little it now. So break down, to, remember, so break down polygamy then, Mike. Where does the polygamy come in? I mean, celestial marriage, as as the church sees it now, is between one man and one woman, right? No gays allowed. Well, Look at the end of verse 31, all right? He says the point of this promise, the point of this covenant, and this law of the priesthood is the continuation of the works of my Father, wherein he glorifieth himself. Now, finish finish the scripture for me. This is my work of my glory to bring to pass... The eternal life of man. Immortality. Immortality and eternal life of man. See? Okay, so how is the Father glorified? What what is God's glory? I'm still trying to figure that one out. The glory of God is intelligence. Okay, the the glory of God is intelligence, but he says, I glorify myself by bringing to pass your immortality and eternal life. Okay. Okay, so if you are doing the works of the Father, you are doing what? The works of the Father. What does the Father do? The works. of his father before him. <laughs> okay, you you already said it. Okay, this so is my works, my glory, in okay, the eternal to bring to pass the immortality, eternal life of man. If you are doing the works of the father, you are a father yourself, 
and you are bringing to pass the exaltation of your children. Okay, so you are acting for and in behalf of God the Father. Who is dead. So, uh, wait, so you're responsible for their exaltation? Is your Father in Heaven responsible for yours? Well, hang on a second. You said that we were in charge of the exaltation of our kids. So, like, if my kids... So, I'm in charge of their exaltation? Correct. Okay. So, hang on, hang on, hang on. So, they're not in charge of their own exaltation? Are you in charge of your exaltation? I kind of thought I was, but... Okay, so your children... But no, 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 hang on a second. So actually, okay. it's my dad and my mom, right? Or just my dad, because he's the priesthood. You're, well, if it's a patriarch, we're going to talk about later how this is a patriarch order. But we're if running it's a out of later. <laughs> well, going along with what Tom said, though, if that's the case, then wouldn't Tom's dad be in charge of him and then Tom's grandfather be in charge of his dad and Tom and keep going back and back and back and back? So at some point, it's almost like, we don't have the ability to choose our own agency there. Right. No, no, you're missing, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The father has made a covenant that he will reveal light and truth to you. You have the personal responsibility to act on that light and truth that's given to you. Okay. okay? So, if the, but if the father doesn't share that light, then, then you're the not child, held accountable. The, the child is not damned, but the father is. Right. The father has a responsibility to reveal light and truth to his child. Okay, uh-huh. you're entering into a covenant with God that you will do those things. And in return, you get the glory that is his because you've done the works he did. You see what so I'm saying? Ca- That's what the covenant is. Well, it, it makes it kind of sound like that if the, if the father doesn't fulfill his responsibility of shedding that light, then the kid's got a free pass. He's like, hey, I'm, I, you didn't show well, me the light. I'm good to go. It's on that's, you. That's going to be, that's gonna be you, a Dad. big part. That's going to be a big part of Judgment Day. You know, there's another possibility here that, that I think we might be overlooking. And that, that's in, in 132 uh, when Is it Joseph, the ten virgins? Well, that, that, comes at, that comes at the end. <laughs> that comes later. That comes at the end. <laughs> but in, in 132, when, when Joseph starts by asking, why did Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon, why did they have multiple wives? And then Joseph gets Abraham, what, what Tom just read, as an example. Uh, the, the, the verse that uh, Jesse mentioned goes on to say that Sarah brought Hagar to Abraham as a wife. And it starts introducing polygamy as the way that this covenant is fulfilled, right? Isn't, isn't this just kind of a way of taking the covenant of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, and using it to justify the practice of polygamy and saying polygamy is the vehicle through which the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled? Yes. It, uh, polygamy is just an extension of this celestial marriage. Because even, you know, if, if, you, look, if you look in Mormon doctrine... You're, you're where, cutting out, Glenn. Say uh, that again. Did you say I'm being cut off, Mike? Yeah, you're if, cutting you, out. You, you're if, cutting if, out. If you look in uh, in Mormon doctrine, where Bruce R. McConkie is talking about uh, that uh, Abraham will receive receives a promise that all of the blessings will be offered to all of his mortal posterity, he references D&C 132 verses 29 through 50. And if you go and read all of verses 29 through 50. 
there's a lot of stuff in verses 29 through 50 that doesn't have to do with the blessings offered to all of mortal posterity unless you define blessings as taking multiple wives. Well, it's a continuation of the family. Your blessings of the celestial glory is, is you're going to have a family the same way your father in heaven does. You're going to live the life your father in heaven lives. Well, but, but you keep couching that in language that's not as specific as 132 is. Because 132 is very specific as to what kind of family that is. It's a family where you have multiple wives. Is that right? Well, is hang, it? On. hang on a second. Mike. Do you believe yes. the heavenly? Do you believe the heavenly Father, as he currently sits, has multiple wives? Yes. Okay. I, I, Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us that law. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, I, well, yeah. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead. Jim. Okay. Uh, I've got um, one point to make. Um, how the Abrahamic covenant is, is tied into polygamy in another way, and that's in verse thirty-six, where it says, um, "Abraham was commanded to." offer his son Isaac. Nevertheless, it is written, thou shalt not kill. Abraham, however, did not refuse, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So that goes back to the original Old Testament traditional Christian understanding of the Abrahamic covenant, which is in Genesis uh, 22, um, verse 17, where he says, because because you haven't withheld your son, then I'll bless you and, you know, the seeds like the stars of heaven, blah, blah, blah. So this was the verse that was used to say, well, you know, if you want to get the blessings of Abraham, you've got to be, you got to be ready to kill your son. You've got to be ready to, to give up whatever you have. You've got to be able to, um, you know, give up anything. So Helen Mark Kimball, um, I mean, all, all the way on down, that's how it was justified. And that's all tied up with the principles of exaltation and, and all of that. Yeah, I have a quote that comes out of uh, History of the Church, Volume 5, pages 554 to 556, that says, The sacrifice required of Abraham in the offering up of Isaac shows that if a man would attain to the keys of the kingdom of an endless life, he must sacrifice all things. The sacrifice required of Abraham is the sacrifice required also of us to offer all that we have willingly. That's a good quote. It's a good quote if you want to run a society like that. The, the, problem, the problem with it is if you combine that with DNC 138, which is whether by my own voice or the voice of my servants, then you're giving every priesthood leader carte blanche. The, yeah, carte blanche to do, to do anything, including commanding you to kill your own child. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem is it seems like it's such a – because when I first heard that quote from Glenn, I sat there and said, well, okay, I mean, I can kind of understand how that could be viewed as laudable. You know, I'm willing to give up everything to attain what right. God has, and that's what that's what Christ talks about. But then again, you think about the other end, I mean – Look at some of the fundamentalists and how, you know, taking a 12-year-old girl to be your wife because, you know what, this is what's required and you're going to have to give up everything and this is how we do it. So it's there, – there's really not a lot more information out there which makes a decision like that, what's a good sacrifice and what's a bad sacrifice. There's not a lot of information out there to tell us, okay, this is actually what it's supposed to be. And, and to me, well, that's the, the insidious side of, of the the – Abrahamic covenant is that it puts such a heavy, heavy benefit and requirement and it ties them together. So so if you are part of this covenant, you're going to get not just heaven or not just eternal bliss, but you're going to have 
all kinds of glory and kingdoms and create worlds and you're going to become a god and all of well, that. And, each and of us is. Each if of you us look at that in an eternal perspective, you can say, "Well, gee, your you know your life's not really worth much. It's just going to be a blink in the eternities. So why does it matter if?" If you have to, you know, endure some horrible existence while you're here, um, just, you know, suck it up and, and obey the commandments and, and do what we tell you because that's the only way to, to, to get an eternal increase. And, and Mike, here, here's the thing that, that I don't understand. And so if, if you can help me understand this, I'll, I'll buy you an ice cream cone. <laughs> why, why is the Abrahamic covenant better or more powerful than just the atonement of Christ. Because I, I would sort of think that the atonement of Christ in and of itself is a fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't be involved in the Abrahamic covenant without, without the atonement. But I, I see the Abrahamic covenant as the end goal of the atonement. This is what he's working with us for to achieve. You see what I'm saying? That it's the end goal of the atonement. We I think want that to get the atonement you to this kind place. of was the end goal of the atone, of, of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, what is the atonement? Is it's washing away our sins to help us uh, to help us make up for the mistakes we make along the way of keeping our covenants, right? We're we're, in we're involved really in keeping these covenants. We make way, promises. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're, we're working towards exaltation. We make screw-ups along the way, and the atonement covers our screw-ups. Yeah. But if we're keeping the covenants, it's changing. When we work on these covenants and keeping them, it teaches us the culture of heaven. But the, but the Abrahamic okay. covenant is that through the seed of Abraham, all of the children of the earth will be blessed. You know, whether they're entering into any kind of covenants or not. Well, let's, let's look at and that. And that's, that's right. the atonement of Christ, because you've got people who don't know to enter into a covenant of anything. Right. But, the, but okay. if, if the atonement is an infinite atonement that covers everyone, that you don't need to enter a covenant or this or that, it's just, it's just there. It just does it, because you've got a kind, loving God who does this for people. All right. For those at home taking notes, if you want to look at the law of the priesthood, you can go to DNC 84, 33 through 42, but we won't go there right now. But when you're talking about, when we go to the temple, we make a covenant that we're going to give our all for the advancement of God's kingdom. Each of us has been endowed. We all, four, five of us made that covenant. Okay. We're, and when we're talking about the atonement, we're talking about Christ, and you look at him as an example of who we want to be like. How much was Christ willing to give in order for the atonement to take place? Ten virgins. <laughs> what was Christ willing to give for us to be like the but Father? His life. He was willing but, to lay down. He laid down his life. Okay, we should do. We should be able to do the same thing. But, but Mike, what, now, he, he each he of you as fathers. But Mike, each of you as fathers, would you be willing to lay down your life for your own kid? Yes, but would we? Be, but we would. Would we be willing to give up our kid? For this, I, that would we be willing to do the same thing as Abraham did? I'm not so sure. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Well, and Abraham it's... fully understood the promise he'd received that his seed would be like the sands of the seashore. Okay. Yeah. He was okay. willing to put his trust. Now, you remember, Isaac at the time was a, was an adult. 
So it's probably he carried all the wood up and laid himself down on the altar and asked Abraham to tie him up. Well, so that's struck. speculation. We don't know. And maybe and he, it, maybe he carried it, him up there kicking and screaming. We it may know. have been Ishmael. If the Muslims are right, <laughs> they could have been Ishmael. Right. They're wrong. That's the other side Here. of the, uh, the the Abrahamic covenant is that all of the all of the uh, Muslims, all all of the Arabs, right, are part of that too. Yeah. Well, and where do the Jews fit in with that as well? Oh yeah, them too, of course. Yeah. yeah. So well, if, you're Chinese, if you're Chinese, too bad for you. <laughs> That's not, uh, Glenn, you want to answer that one? Uh, well, that was Japanese, but the, ja- the well, Japanese the, are the lost tribes of Israel. Is what there's we're plenty of about evidence here. that Chinese at one time had the gospel among their people. Plenty. There's a lot of, of temple plenty. stuff. There's plenty of evidence for all of this stuff. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty. I'm sure there's plenty of it. Yeah. All right, but those um, who have ears to hear and eyes to see. All right, let's look at Abraham himself. Uh, let's flip over to the book of Abraham. We'll look at uh, chapter 1. And Glenn, you want to read for us verses 1 through 4? Not, not really. Well, wait, tell, tell me again where it, I got, I've got to find it. What, we're in the book Abraham, of Abraham? Abraham chapter 1. The book of Abraham, the, the Pearl Gate Price. Yeah, in the Pearl Gate Price, Glenn. It's back, it's back by the pictures. <laughs> okay, I'm in Abraham chapter 1. Uh, verses, let's read, look at uh, 2 through 4. All right. And finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessing of the fathers. Okay, and the there's right that word. To, oh, the, I'm sorry. There, the, there's that phrase. I sought for the blessings of the fathers. Oh, okay. I All sought right, for the ahead. blessing of the fathers and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same, having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge, and to be a greater follower of righteousness, and to possess a greater knowledge, and to be a father of many nations, a prince of peace, and desiring to receive instructions, and to keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest holding the right belongings to the fathers. It was conferred upon me from the fathers. It came down from the fathers, from the beginning of time, yea, even from the beginning or before the foundation of the earth down to the present time, even the right of the firstborn or the first man who was Adam or the first father through the fathers unto me. Okay, so All that from a couple little pictures. <laughs> One more verse there. I oh. saw from mine appointment under oh, the wait, priesthood. Hey, 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 let me, let God. me, let me. No, 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 no he's I, good, he's good. We're done reading. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. We're done. Hey, and you know what? I wasn't even reading from the Pearl of Great Price. I was just looking right off of the facsimile. <laughs> were you? Yes. I thought that it was the pr- why you were so excited. Yeah. <laughs> You're you're fluent in re- reformed Egyptian. Yeah, I got the I got the Urim and Thummim app. It just came out for the iPhone app. <laughs> yeah. So my question is, if if Abraham he's saying, oh yeah, I've got this thing. I know I've got this all the way back to Adam. Um, so why why did he get the promise then um, when he was willing to sacrifice Isaac if he already had it from the beginning of time? Well, he entered into the covenant, but he had to be show that he was willing to keep the covenant. It's one thing to receive it. It's a completely another thing to show that you're willing to keep it and uphold it and honor it. Okay, all of us have had, been married in the temple. But the apocalypse but, of, of Abraham said that he got the covenant when he was taken up into the sun. The apocalypse <laughs> of it? What? Glenn's off on another thing. Nibbly That's quotes from it. Nibbly yep. quoted from it. He yes, he does. He does. But misquoted here, from it. 
But Nibley's not a GA, so back off. I'll, I want to compare the Abraham thing to each to you as individuals. All of you have been married in the temple. Right? You've entered into, into the Abrahamic covenant. But that covenant is not binding. Your marriages will not continue into the next world unless the, the Holy Ghost seals it. How do we get how do we get that to happen, Mike? By by living the covenant, you bring the Holy Ghost into it and he seals that covenant and he welds you and your wife together through that covenant. So he okay. and you can you break have that to honor weld it. and and then and then if you repent, you can get the weld back, that kind of thing. Right. If you if you and your wife have made the covenant, but then you carry on doing whatever you want to do and you don't go to church and you don't pray Rated and you movies. don't you don't teach your kids how to live righteously. You don't bring light and truth to your kids. Then that covenant is not binding. Okay, so Abraham here is showing he had a taste of the gospel, but he wanted the higher blessings. He wanted to go receive his endowment. He wanted to receive instructions. He wanted to become a rightful heir and a high priest and hold the right belonging to the fathers. Okay, but what, what, if, what if you... What if you end up screwing up so much you're like, ah, screw it. I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Sh- share the light to my kids that way i'm already cursed anyways it gives them a free pass you'd be like hey you know what their responsibility will fall on my heads if i don't give them the light knowledge or whatever i'm already cursed as it is you're kind of doing them a favor aren't you no (laughs) no well no unhallowed hand can stop the lord's work though so it doesn't really matter what you do or not Tom, this gets back to what um, one of the one of the links that um, I sent out. But um, James E. Faust gave an, an old talk on this. I think it was in two thousand three, where he he quoted who was who was it, Mike, that he quoted? Orson F. Talk? Whitney. Orson, Orson, Orson F. Whitney. Orson Whitney. And the gist of it was, um, if anyone is in the if anyone is is well, married in the temple, it? yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is from a conference report of 1929. The prophet Joseph Smith declared, and he never taught a more comforting doctrine, that the eternal sealings of faithful parents and the the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth would save not only themselves, but likewise their posterity. Though some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. Either in this life or the life to come, they will return. They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may tread a thorny path. But if it leads them at last, like the penitent prodigal, to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experiences will not have been in vain. Pray for your careless and disobedient children. Hold on to them with your faith. Hope on, trust on, till you see the salvation of God. Okay, this so wait. This is crazy because... It- it's completely crazy. It means that every child born in the covenant will end up in the in the celestial kingdom. Yeah, because this this goes along with with what John said a while back. He said, "Well, my parents always have that hope and responsibility in their minds and in their hearts that both him and Zilpha will return." Right. So that responsibility and that burden falls on them. Like, well, you know, eventually we just have to hold on hope. That's a lot of pressure, and that. That just seems that, that that reduces the individual's choice and free agency. It seems like to me. Well, I mean, exactly. If, Where's, if if the children? No, free agency the, is always a part of it. But God just promises yeah, but that He won't put, make but, the gospel available to them. No, 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 no. Be available. 
but you're putting a lot of burden on the parents, a lot of burden that seems unnecessary. I mean, it seems to me that if my kid does something stupid and I've told him this is stupid, don't run out in the street on your own without looking, and he does it anyways, that burden falls on me? That's so stupid. It's the kid's fault. I mean, especially if they're wise enough and old enough to do it. The only thing God expects of you is to ensure that your children are taught. Their their responsibility lies with them to live. How are the parents supposed to feel? What would bring them comfort saying, well, I guess I fulfilled my obligation. I no longer need to feel that kind of responsibility guilt anymore. I don't think their obligation lasts till the day they die. Okay. That's that's how long. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. God's obligation is that he will, he will keep his promise and make these things available to their children because they have been faithful. But the quote says they're coming, they're coming back no matter what. I mean, they're going to have to tread a thorny path and pay their debts, whatever. But, but it means that anyone, you know, if you're born in the covenant, you can do anything you want in this life and you'll be okay. You'll wind up back in the celestial kingdom um, because of something well, your parents did, whereas someone else who lives a good life but never accepts the gospel, you know, they're, they're down in the celestial kingdom, right? No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that they'll be exalted. It says they'll not, be saved. I'm not saying, well, okay, well, we're not talking about exaltation, the highest kingdom of the celestial king, highest glory of the it, celestial kingdom, but, but that they would, be, they would be saved. Yeah, they'd be in the celestial kingdom. Well, everyone's saved, but everyone's saved to a different degree. Okay, what we're, the Abrahamic covenant is dealing with is exaltation. The promise is that the Father will make the gospel available and they, they will receive a greater degree of salvation because of the work of their parents. Okay, but it, it doesn't... But doesn't that... There's never, pers- you're, never excused from, you're never excused from personal responsibility, never. But, it, but well, you are because it, you, it depends on what your parents did. So for, yeah, two, people, for two people who had the, the same actions or the same commitment to the gospel... It matters if one of them had parents that were in this covenant or not. It sounds like what you just read, Mike, is is a weird sort of way of comforting those parents whose children went astray. Yeah, right. Because then then they can say, you know what, my kids left the church, but that's okay. Because in the next life, they'll come back. Because if I honor my covenant, they'll eventually come back. And that was the the whole point of... That was the whole point of Elder Faust's talk, as he was saying, um, the Lord's looking out for you and your kids, and just keep praying for them. And if, if you do what you're supposed to, they'll come back um, in this life or the next. Well, let's look at the actual promise. Wait, Abraham wait, chapter wait hang on, hang on, because I'm tired of going to the scriptures on this. So, so Mike, I, I, what you said, I think, was really interesting in, in, in making a distinction, what I asked earlier about the, the atonement versus the Abrahamic covenant. So, if... If, if the celestial kingdom is expansive enough that you can have these, these different degrees, like Jesse said, you know, you've got the, the highest degree of the celestial kingdom where you've got the exalted people who, th- that's where the Abrahamic covenant people are, right? That's where you've got yes, the those people. That honored, well, those that honored the Abrahamic covenant received that. Okay. That, that's where the, the people that have entered into the new and everlasting covenant of celestial marriage and have honored that. They've abided within that covenant. They have the eternal increase, uh, expansion, polygamous marriage, whatever that is. But people in the lower degrees of the celestial kingdom are still sealed to the people that are in that top 
degree of the celestial kingdom, but they might not be participating in it. But by virtue of the sealing covenants with the people that are in that top degree, they're still in the celestial kingdom. Is, is that is that what we're talking about here? Yep. Yes. So Yes, you're bound together and you all receive an inheritance depending on how much you imitated the father. Okay, so as long as, as, long as my dad is is going into the top degree of the celestial kingdom, I'm, I'm pretty much guaranteed to get into the celestial kingdom. I don't have to worry about being in the terrestrial kingdom anymore. Well, I like Because I was, I was I, getting kind of comfortable with that idea, but now I'm like celestial? Well, you, I, like, I like to think of it as, as if you, those in the celestial kingdom are those that are outside the city gates. Those that are terrestrial are inside the city gates, and those in the celestial are in the holy house. Okay, but 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 there's, so there's so big... I'm I'm in the holy house. I might not be up sitting at the head of the table eating all of the best food. Well, right? one would hope that you and your wife have lived the gospel firmly enough and been good enough to your kids that you're going to be warranted a place at the head of the table. Maybe, but even in a worst case scenario, right? Even in a worst case scenario at this point, as long as my dad and my mom are up at the head of the table. With their husbands and wives, because they're divorced then, now. Then you well, can let's change look at it in the way. next life. Yes, we're we're not all going to spend eternity in Heavenly Father's house. The ultimate goal is for us to go out and have our own households. Okay, but but what, then what does this mean that like the far the, the the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children and all of this binding and sealing thing? It, it, I mean, we're sealed to each other. That's kind of what keeps us in that with this Faust quote that Jesse brought in. Well, if, yeah. See, say my dad and mom make it to the sister came and receive their exaltation. Okay. As their child, I receive the same inheritance that my father received if I keep the covenant. Score. Okay. Right. Now, if my kid screws up, he's sealed to me, so he will be a part of my household because he won't make his own household. You see what I'm saying? You you're bound and tied and receive certain degrees of inheritance depending on your righteousness to the light and truths you receive. I so if he that, screws up, he gets he gets another chance in the next life to fix it. There's no second chances. Oh, you don't get second chances. This Bummer. life is the life to prepare. Okay. I thought, the, I, thought the ne- I thought the next life. Uh, that's why there's missionary work and why we're doing baptisms for the dead. I thought that was kind of another chance. Well, that that brings you into the family, but you still have to keep the covenants and and. The Holy Ghost still has to work upon you because the degree to the amount of the Holy Ghost you receive is going to affect your resurrected body. But the that's, degree that's of the podcast. Holy Ghost affects your resurrected body? Yes, it does. That is, I've never heard that before. Well, let's delve into the temple just for a second because we need to get back to the Abraham Covenant. But recall in the, in the temple as you're going through the degrees of glory. What? The first degree, there is no presentation made. The second and third, there is a presentation made. Next time you go to the temple, pay attention to, to what you're doing. And there is a, a presentation made, a cup held out, that is not held out as you enter the telestial kingdom, but it is held out as you enter the terrestrial and celestial. Cu- Did you say a cup? I'm not going to say anything more than that. But there's a presentation made. You're presenting the material you've worked with, and the degree to the Holy Ghost has affected it. This is some further light knowledge that I'm not aware of. Well, well go to the temple this weekend doing- and pay attention. 
They must be doing crazy stuff in that Las Vegas temple. No, it's the same I, thing I, you're doing I, yours. I think, I think Mike's paying closer attention than the rest of us. That's what I think. Go this weekend and pay attention to the difference between <clears> entering <throat> the celestial and entering to the terrestrial and celestial. I, I have a and question. You'll see what I'm talking about. I, I have a question for the panel um, that we can move, move on to maybe a slightly different topic here. Well, I got two more scriptures I want to cover. Okay. This, this is the Abrahamic covenant in action. We're going to look at this, and then this will be the end of it. This is Adam on Diamond, DNC 107, 53 through 56, for those following at home. <laughs> Three years previous to the death of Adam, he called Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah, who were all high priests with the residue of his posterity who were righteous, oh, unto the valley of Adam on Diamond, and there bestowed upon them his last blessing. And the Lord appeared unto them, and they rose up and blessed Adam and called him Michael, the prince, the archangel. And the Lord did minister comfort to Adam and said unto him, I have set thee to be at the head. A multitude of nations shall come of thee, and thou art a prince over them forever. And Adam stood up in the midst of the congregation, and notwithstanding he was bowed down with age, being full of the Holy Ghost, predicted whatsoever should befall his posterity unto the latest generation. Okay, so what you have here is you have the patriarchal head, Adam. And as the patriarchal head, he bestows a blessing on his children. The, the result of that blessing is that they're able to stand in the presence of Christ. And Christ appears unto them and blesses Adam and calls him Michael and, make, and calls him an archangel and a head. And the Lord administers to Adam and then he in turn blesses his children and pronounces uh, a revelation and, a, and, a, and the gift of the Holy Ghost to his children. Okay, that's the Abrahamic covenant in action. A father blessing his children, who in turn bless theirs, and they all are able to stand in the presence of Christ. That is the ultimate goal of those that enter into the Abrahamic covenant. That's the patriarchal order. Oh, okay. But I, want, I, want, I just want to touch on one thing. In the patriarchal order, which is what this is, there's incumbent in that a matriarch. And each of our wives is a matriarch as you are a patriarch. And together... Um, you enter into the celestial kingdom. Did you say incumbent? Yes, I did. What does that word mean? Uh, tied to uh, Would you obviously... quit Darrell in this, Glenn? He's wrapping it up. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up, Mike. Don't let Glenn do that anymore. Um, no you know what? Let's go back to, to... To wrap it up, let's go to DNC 132. No, 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 no. Okay, just summarize, brother. I mean, you know, like okay. in, conclu- well, in I am conclusion... In conclusion, Brother Tannehill, go ahead. In conclusion, if we are obedient to the patriarchal covenant that we make, and as we take our wives to the temple, then... Uh, Did you say as we take our wives to the temple? Glenn. Yes. Yeah, one at a time, though. <laughs> one at a time. You've, you've been warned. Come on. Uh, if you are obedient to this, then they, meaning you and your wife, shall pass by the angels and the gods. Then they... You, they, meaning you and your wife, will be gods because they have no end. Therefore, they will be from everlasting to everlasting, um, etc. You enter into the celestial kingdom not as an individual, but hand in hand with your wife because you together have raised a righteous posterity and imitated the actions of your heavenly father and your heavenly mother. All right. I don't know if I'd aim in that. Well, all right. <laughs> all right works for me. <clears throat> all right. Can I ask my question now? Absolutely. Okay. 
Um, there's a problem that I see with the Abrahamic covenant in terms of its its future in a correlated church. Um, and, and I mean that as a, as a doctrine and as, as part of the LDS culture. I think it is probably dying. Um, it's, it's so tied up with two things that the church is trying to get away from. One is polygamy, and the other is the, the doctrine of, of deification. Um, in recent years, we've probably all noticed that the church is um, avoiding any reference to us becoming gods or having our own planets or anything like that, all the stuff that we were taught growing up. And now they just kind of say, well, you'll be with God or you'll be with God, you know, with your family. Yeah, we but don't know what will happen. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a lot more vague about that. So polygamy and deification are both pretty much out. Um, I don't think the church and, is capable of getting away from polygamy, and I don't think okay. it's capable either of getting away from deification because deification I, is I everywhere. I completely in the agree with you there, Mike. Go ahead, yeah, I, I agree they're not capable of doing it, but in the future, I mean, if if you open up the the gospel principles manual and turn to the lesson on Abrahamic covenant, you're not going to see polygamy referenced in there. You're not going to see any of the the real deification stuff referenced in there even now i mean it's already you'll see but you'll see dnc 132 referenced sure well sure but they're talking about um you know nobody reads dnc 132 unless you're on mormon expression podcast it's they just (laughs) dnc 132 is just you know it's just celestial marriage it's just eternal marriage it's not polygamy anymore it's they've it, but it's it's that it's both of those things that you mentioned. It's the deification and the the polygamy, right? And those are all balled up together in the yeah. in the the idea of Abrahamic covenant. So I just don't know how the church how how the Abrahamic covenant can really have any significant meaning in such a heavily correlated, simplified church doctrine. Well, I think I, correlation I focuses dying. on the. I think correlation focuses on the lowest common denominator of the church, the, the convert coming into the church for the first time. You know, that, that stuff is deep enough for them because as we teach the gospel, we're supposed to focus on faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I think when we get into elders quorum and, and gospel doctrine class, we can delve into some of the heavier stuff. But generally, yeah, it focuses on the new convert. Yeah, because you don't want the converts choking on the big meat that you're trying to force down their throat. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want them to know what the scriptures say or or where they're going after they die. Yeah, see, I, I disagree with Mike about, about. Go ahead. Okay, I was just I disagree with you about what correlation does. I mean, look, I I think the correlation has got some severe issues that they got to iron out. It's one of those necessary evils to make sure that what you have is really what's there and not some pet topic that someone is you know picking out of the sky. But on the other hand, what correlation has done is they've made some of these topics like deification and polygamy that that need to be discussed because. My goodness, I went to BYU-Idaho. There's kids that don't even really understand polygamy, don't even know what happened. They right. made very easy topics to, to dismiss. 132, oh, that's celestial marriage. And then you can move on because people don't, people aren't comfortable discussing it because there's so much stuff that we don't know and, and we can't articulate well enough. And when you're calling these lay teachers who, who really sometimes have no experience in teaching or research or stuff like that, then yeah, you're going to get some really weird answers. Yeah, I agree. Cause if, cause if they read DNC 132, it doesn't really answer any questions. It just brings more questions. Exactly. 
Yeah. One thing I really liked about this BYU, BYU talk is that it spelled out the Abrahamic Covenant in an easy-to-understand manner. I don't know. I think what we went through really unfolds what the Abrahamic Covenant is and, and how deep it is and how it ties into every part of the gospel and really is the end goal of the atonement. And that's really what I wanted to go over this for, because this is something that is important in each one of our lives. Every one of you is a, is a member of this Abrahamic covenant. And I think after what we discussed, we understand it a little better and what our responsibilities are. I don't know that we all agree on what we talked about, though, as the end game. I think we just talked. <laughs> well, the whole system of salvation is really a covenant affair, and none of us are meant to go through it alone. We're supposed to have a husband and a wife together working with their children in imitation of our father and mother in heaven. Oh, okay, As we so, do that, we become like them and receive the same blessings. So because this is all a family thing and because, um, you know, your personal actions are only um, maybe at best partly responsible for where you end up, but but um, your family line is at least that is, is at least very important. Um, how is this not kind of a ramiumptum doctrine? I mean, <laughs> this is talking about the chosen people you know, well, well, my father was in the in the in the covenant, and he was he was righteous. So, boom, I'm saved. Hey, thanks, heavenly Father, for having me be born. You know, out of all of these generations all over the earth, I happen to be born into a a Mormon family that was married in the temple. So, I'm saved. But you know, nobody else is, is really getting well, that blessing. Let's um, look at that. God's that just seems people. that just seems exactly like what the Book of Mormon. Um, was was warning of with the Ramayumptum story. Well, Jesse, what does it mean to be God's chosen people? What does that um, mean? Well, um, let's, I, let's not try to extend the discussion any further, dude. You said in conclusion like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> to be God's chosen people is to be called to do the work. That means you are, are now required to act on whatever form of uh, responsibility you receive in the church. You no, but that's not what we've been. We haven't been talking about that at all. It's all about what what benefit you're getting, all of the all of the blessings, all of you know the, the grains. The of... Why do you get the blessing? It's because you live the law. Every no, blessing you get the blessing even if you don't law. live the law. You don't. The only promise in that blessing is that your children will always have it available to them. They are still required to act on their own and, and bring as much of the Holy Ghost into their cells as they can through being obedient to the law. No blessings without obedience to the law it's attached to. That doesn't God's chosen sound, people mean you're supposed to teach the law. That doesn't, that doesn't, I mean, what you're saying there, Mike, doesn't sound like what I, list, what I heard from that talk from Faust or Whitney, whoever it was. That, sounded that like, only sounded says, like sounded like there was a lot more responsibility on the parent. All he's saying is that it, there is a lot of responsibility on you as a parent. You don't well, receive any I, I of the blessings if you don't keep but, that law. But, but what he's you, saying is that I won't leave your kids alone. I will always have this available to them because I made this promise to you. Your kids won't be left alone, I promise. I will. This is Christ saying I will involve myself in their life because you've been so faithful. Alright, Glenn, go ahead and derail us now. <laughs> I just don't know why you even like believing in that stuff. Why do you, what do you like mean? it? Well, I mean, what, as you listen to it, why do you like it? It is the gospel. This is saying, be like your father in heaven. That's all this is. Glenn, be like your father in heaven. And as you act like your father in heaven, you'll receive the blessings associated with acting that way. All this righty. isn't just saying be Christ-like. Right. This is saying, be a father. Okay. Be a father in Zion. All right. Wrap it up, Mike. 
I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. No, that's not the way we do it here. <laughs> we say the discussion right. continues. The discussion continues at... Hello there. This is your brother. And I have something to say concerning these people. If they do not listen to every minute of every episode of Infants on Thrones, they shall be totally missing out. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum money. They could buy anything in this world with money. On second thought, just give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. A small token for which they have pledged their eternal souls. Anyone for the closing prayer? I just simply say to you, brethren, wake up, open your eyes, and look around a little. You beautiful girls, don't wander around looking like men. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick now and then. I don't know why we make this whole process so hard. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick now and then. I don't know why we make this whole process so hard. I just simply say to your brethren, wake up, open your eyes, look around a little. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick now and then. I'm not an idiot. This man doesn't seem like a dodo. Because we're not a cult. I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Because we're not a cult. Because we're not a cult. I'm not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Because we're not a cult. This man doesn't seem like a dodo. I just simply say to you, brethren, wake up, open your eyes, look around a little. I looked squarely at him, certain I had his attention. And then I wiggled my ears. I wiggled my ears. I wiggled my ears. And then I wiggled my ears. Put on a little lipstick now and then. This man doesn't seem like a dodo. Put on a little lipstick now and then. I wiggled my ears. Some suppose that they were preset and cannot overcome what they feel are inborn tendencies toward the impure and the unnatural. Not so. Why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? First, I want to change the question. Why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? First, I want to change the question. I looked squarely at him, certain I had his attention. And then... Taste of a pickle. An occasional dip in the brine and distinctive taste of a pickle. I'd simply say to you, brethren, put on a little lipstick now and then. Why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? Put on a little lipstick now and then. An occasional dip in the brine and distinctive taste of a pickle. 
steady, sustained, and complete, steady, sustained, and complete, steady, sustained, and complete in the brine. This man doesn't seem like a dodo. There are no homosexual members of the church. I don't know why we make this whole process so hard. And distinctive taste of a pickle. There are no homosexual members of the church. An occasional dip in the brine. This man doesn't seem like a dodo. Steady, sustained, and complete immersion. Put on a little lipstick now and then. Put on a little lipstick and now distinctive and then. taste. Put on a little pickle. lipstick now and then. And distinctive taste of a pickle. And then I wiggled my ears. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.